The following content was originally recorded in the summer of 2020 on the topic of alcohol in a sermon series entitled Ask Anything. These were user-submitted questions by the congregation of CHBC. I hope it's a blessing to you. studying Proverbs 23, and the question arose whether and why the Southern Baptist Church prohibits alcohol ingestion, or whether it believes alcohol use is prohibited. Please uh, tell us what God says on the subject and what our church requires. Okay, so good question. I knew this was probably going to come at some point. So alcohol, Christians and alcohol, and uh, to the questioner, Uh, Definitely a picture of uh, concern for what our own church says and what the Southern Baptist Convention says. So I'll do my best to touch on all of those briefly if I can. Uh, So first things first, I want you to know how I sort of uh, interpret the question myself is uh, in my life. I answer this question from the perspective that I am in practice a teetotaler personally. So uh, in my home, uh, myself, my wife, uh, we do not drink alcohol. Um, I have never been uh, tempted by or gotten into alcohol personally. Uh, it's something that uh, was instilled in, in me from my dad, and uh, my family was a, a teetotaling family as well, uh, complete abstinence from alcohol. And so uh, I just want you to know that as I give you this, uh, I want you to hear it through the lens of I personally do not drink alcohol. It's a choice that I've made in my life and um, don't intend to. But at the same time, I'm going to answer this question broadly uh, from what the scriptures say and require of us. Okay, so all of that's important. So first of all, at the SBC level, uh, you need to know that, first of all, there's no commandment from the SBC uh, that that would be binding upon our church uh, that could prevent us from uh, you know, or cause us to take a statement on alcohol. Um, alcohol is not listed anywhere in the Baptist faith and message. It's not not anywhere there at all. It doesn't speak to that issue. Um, now, over the years, there have been many various resolutions that appear in uh, the convention meetings where they might uh, formally denounce alcohol or, or something like that. There are definitely requirements at different levels throughout Southern Baptist life, um, whether it be as an IMB missionary, a North American Mission Board church planter, or um, seminaries. There's definitely, uh, I've seen them, I've, I've seen those, those kind of documents uh, come before my face at different points uh, that do ask that you not drink alcohol if you're going to do this role or this job. So those do exist. They are out there. You're not crazy if you've seen them. Um, and so uh, with the next thing, though, that is not something that a local church is required to do. So Southern Baptist entities might have taken a stance on those things. But again, we are an autonomous local church, and our partnership with the Southern Baptist Convention is a voluntary partnership that we choose to give our money to them. We choose to partner with them uh, in the Great Commission work. So uh, what the next part of the question would be is at the local church level. So um, many church covenants do include a line about abstaining from alcohol in their church covenant, which is a voluntary agreement that you make with your church body. So 
Uh, I've got our, our church covenant here. I grabbed just a little copy of the uh, current, uh, well, most recent church covenant from Calvary Hills. It's right there in the church constitution. So, um, a covenant, what, what it basically is, is an agreement between church members of how they're going to act toward one another and when, what constitutes the behavior of a Christian. So, in, in practice, if you were to break something in this church covenant, to go against it, it what you should do is discipline a person. You should go through church discipline if someone breaks something in a church covenant uh, because we've covenanted together to do those things. Um, so um, the intent of a covenant is to know when to discipline someone. So technically, if your church has a line in its church covenant about prohibiting alcohol, uh, your church should discipline you and threaten to revoke your church membership if you persist in drinking alcohol, if your church has a line about uh, alcohol. So I've looked at our covenant, um, the one this I'm holding the 2018 uh, constitution here in my hand, and it does have a line that says uh, to abstain from the sale of and use of intoxicating drinks as a beverage. So according to our covenant, you cannot sell or um, use in any way an intoxicating drink as a beverage. So not even one sip is the way that I would read it. Um, now, with that, you should know that I have been using a different covenant uh, since I've arrived to new members, okay? And uh, this is going to be in the newest revision of our church constitution, the 2020 version uh, that you'll be voting on here soon. And um, that line, I did remove that line about abstinence from alcohol. Um, and again, I want you to know, and I'll explain this more in a second, it is not because I'm hoping to be able to drink. I already told you, I don't, I don't want to. It's that I'm not completely convinced that the scriptures would require me to discipline you if you do. So if you were to have one sip of alcohol under our current covenant, I would be required to engage you in a church discipline discussion where someone goes to you privately, tells you to repent, and if you don't, then two would go. Uh, then perhaps a deacon and a pastor would go to you. And then if you continue to persist, uh, we would have to bring that before the church and call you to repent. And if you don't, we would revoke your membership and treat you as an unbeliever. Uh, and because I don't believe that um, unless drunkenness is occurring, I don't believe that we can rightfully engage that process. So that's why I removed that and just made a more general call to uh, living a spirit-controlled life rather than an alcohol-controlled life, a spirit-filled, godly life. Um, because I don't think it's wise to go and try to name every sin in your church covenant anyway. But, so with that, going forward with the new covenant that we'll have, does our church require complete abstinence of alcohol and will we act upon it? The answer is no, we do not require abstinence. Um, drunkenness or any ungodliness that, that comes from drinking alcohol would conflict with our church covenant. Anything that brings shame or casts a shadow upon the gospel or makes us look like hypocrites uh, would definite, definitely be wrong. I would also seriously caution you about guarding your witness in life, uh, presenting a picture that might be confusing your testimony to the world around you. 
Um, there are many different views on this, and there are some that hold it very tightly, and uh, they, they may uh, stumble in the way that they see the way that you act. And so um, even in our culture, still the appearance of alcohol does create a questionable picture in, in the minds of some. And so you want to be mindful always of your testimony. Um, you would never want to try to go share the gospel with somebody and that to be hindered by something that you could easily remove. That stumbling block doesn't have to be there. Um, never give somebody a reason to call you a hypocrite, definitely. And so um, what is the biblical point of alcohol, the biblical portrait of what it is? Um, I think that perhaps the, the church, the Southern Baptist Church, was affected deeply by uh, the temperance movement and the prohibition movement because that they both came to power around the same times. And so um, I do think we may have swung a bit far that direction and were influenced by that at that time, and it still is around today. But I want to give you the broad picture of alcohol in the Bible. And of course, like a preacher, I've got three C's that I want to show you. Um, the Bible prominently discusses wine. It's referenced over uh, 200 times in the English version of our Bible. Uh, there's also a separate word for strong drink that is used 23 times in the Bible. And um, now I do want to present a alternate perspective. Sometimes those that hold the prohibition view, the abstinence view, would say, yeah, but you need to know in the Bible that alcohol was not as strong as it is today. And so it took much more drinking back then to, to get drunk. Um, the fermentation process that we have is much more efficient. And that may be. I, I don't know that answer. I'm just telling you that position is out there. There are even some positions that say that the wine referred to the fruit of the vine was actually grape juice and not actual wine, especially in the Jesus parts of this story. Again, I, I don't know for sure that that is true. I just want to present that to you as an alternate perspective. Um, so, word studies on both wine and strong drink in the Bible. I tried to look at every single word, all 300 some, and give a brief scan to get a picture of what I think the, the true presentation in the Bible of alcohol is. And so I've come down to three C's that I believe uh, cover that. And those are celebration, ceremony, and caution. Celebration, ceremony, and caution. So I'll give you a brief touch on each of those. First of all, the Bible does pair alcohol with celebration and joy. It is a metaphor, a picture of joy, gladness, merry uh, hearts. Um, you know, even, even times when we're picturing the blessing of the Lord in the land, it was pictured there. And so uh, just a couple of places that I, that I would show you that characterize that. Um, when David was made king and all Israel was united for the first time, it says this in 1 Chronicles 12, 38. Likewise, the rest of Israel uh, were of single mind to make David king. And they were there with David for three days, eating and drinking. For their brothers made preparation for them and also their relatives as far as Issachar and Zebulun and Naphtali. Uh, they came bringing food on donkeys and on camels and on mules and on oxen, abundant provisions of flour, cakes of figs, clusters of raisins and wine and oil, oxen and sheep, for there was joy in Israel. So again, a picture of joy when David came to be a king. Three days of celebration. Certainly there was wine present. Um, also, you knew we were going to look at Jesus. 
uh, in Luke chapter 7, uh, Jesus himself admits that he it sounds like drinks wine. So listen to this in Luke 7, 33 through 34. Jesus said, For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So in that passage, Jesus is kind of excoriating the Pharisees and those who would just never be pleased. So John the Baptist came and he was a, in sort of that old prophet fashion, the Nazarite vow fashion. Uh, he was a teetotaler. John the Baptist lived separate. He was a separatist and they hated him for that. They said he was a weirdo. And so Jesus comes and he says, the son of man has come. So I, Jesus hung out with people, sinners, tax collectors, he says he was eating and drinking. And the Pharisees uh, then called him a glutton and a drunkard. So he, his point was, you guys will never be happy no matter what uh, a true prophet does. Whether they're a separatist or whether they're of the people, it doesn't matter. You'll never be happy. And, and again, we also would consider the, the story, the miracle of the turning water into wine. That's in John chapter 2. Uh, Jesus does that to save the wedding couple the shame of not having enough wine at their wedding celebration. Uh, Jesus was at that celebration. He created wine from water. Um, and so it, it is likely that he participated and had some. He was at the party. And, uh, and so I, I think there's reason to believe that Jesus probably in his life did drink wine. Now, again, the argument's going to strongly come that that wasn't the same wine we have today. And again, I'm not prepared to, to defend that or make that uh you know, argument to the lexical wording of oinos or any of those things, but I understand that they're out there. So that's celebration. Secondly, ceremony. There's a ceremonial use of wine in the scriptures, and I, and I did kind of learn a little bit today as I read through these. Uh, often, in the Old Testament specifically, uh, offer, drink offerings were made to the Lord, and uh, so I'm just going to give you a couple of examples here, uh, one in the word wine and one in the word of strong drink. So in Numbers 15, 7, uh, the law says this, And for the drink offering, you shall offer a third of a hen of wine, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So a drink offering was, they would pour water, or excuse me, uh, they would pour a liquid out onto a, a fire often, and that smell, that smoky smell would sort of radiate up and that would be like a drink offering to the Lord. Um, in Numbers 28, 6, it says this, Its drink offering shall be a quarter of hen for each lamb. In the holy place you shall pour out a drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. So strong drink was offered to the Lord uh, in, a, in a sacrificial ceremonial way. And, and my question would be, wouldn't it be strange if alcohol were a just completely sinful thing that the Lord would require it to be poured out to him as an offering in the holy place. Um, so again, they weren't drinking it. I don't want you to, to hear that. It's not that the priests were drinking it. Actually, in a moment, I'll tell you, they weren't. Uh, this wasn't being partaken of, but it was a drink offering poured out to the Lord, which I just think is really interesting. Last We've talked about uh, celebration, ceremony, and number three, caution. Number three, caution. I would say uh, probably the overwhelming of the three options uh, presentation that the Bible gives to alcohol is that of caution. 
Okay, it is more present, I think, than the other two. So, several bad scenarios play out in the Bible where alcohol's influence is prominently displayed in the story. So, you know, for example, these are just a couple, but there's a lot. For example, when Noah's sons find him naked in his tent and they see him and then there's this curse that's placed upon his sons. That's all blamed on the fact that Noah was drunk, all right? A uh, few chapters later, Lot is seduced by his daughters. And that this is where uh, sort of the, the, the illicit behavior takes place between daughter and father, and they trick him um, into sexual things by getting him drunk. Um, so again, this happens a lot in Scripture where something bad happens, and then the dotted line is drawn back to um, drunkenness or alcohol. Additionally, there are statements that might make us pause about why God would... Um, seek to limit alcohol's influence on those serving him. So, for example, um, there was a thing called a Nazarite vow in the scriptures. This is uh, in Numbers chapter 6, if you want to read that. But those who would seek to consecrate their lives wholly uh, given to the Lord, uh, this is what you saw Samson doing in, in there. John the Baptist probably was doing this. But they would um, completely abstain from alcohol in their lives they would like shave their head too or and then or, or sorry they would not cut their hair opposite they would not cut their hair they would not drink alcohol um, and so this was a picture of a life completely set apart for the lord uh, in proverbs 31 we have a line that uh, says it is not for kings o lemuel it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of the afflicted. So uh, it was encouraged heavily that kings not drink because uh, they had so much power and authority. If they had a drunken moment where they just, you know, sort of said off with their heads, you know, they might not mean it. So those in power were really, really cautioned not to uh, get involved with alcohol because the potential effects that it could have on others around them. And then priests were not to drink in their service of the Lord. Now, there were offerings made, uh, wine offerings, a tenth of, a, of the gifts of the people were given to the priest, a tenth of a tenth. Um, but uh, listen to this. It's uh, in Leviticus 10, 8, says this, And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generation. So God was not playing when he told the sons of Aaron, do not go drink and, and go into the temple. Do not drink and go try to lead the people in worship. Uh, do not do that. All right. So that was a very serious thing. And uh, there are many, many other cautionary statements that I would give you briefly. That um, Proverbs 20 is uh, classic. It says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. It is not wise to be controlled or led in any way by alcohol. Paul writes in Ephesians 5.18, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, for be filled with the Spirit. So, uh, clear call there. Do not be drunk with wine. Uh, that is debauchery. Okay, and then Paul even requires that deacons, those who are serving in the church, uh, not be addicted to wine. First uh, Timothy three eight. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double tongued, not addicted to much wine. Uh, so you see, the standard is set there 
uh, definitely a cautionary tale against alcohol. And, um, you know, we don't have to think very hard in our lives to see the effects that alcohol has had in our culture. Um, many abusive relationships are definitely assisted by alcohol. Um, I would even say of all the drugs uh, that our culture embraces and sort of makes common, alcohol gets the most free pass of anything, and I don't know that it should. Uh, we, we celebrate, you know, smoking marijuana, and that's sort of become this cool thing now. Um, there's been a fight over it, you know, a legal battle. We've never had these fights since the 1920s over alcohol. And uh, it seems just like alcohol is responsible for so many deaths, but it gets a complete free pass. I mean, it's advertised it, uh, without really any sort of, um, you know, they'll put it on a football game when anybody's watching. They don't try to hinder the advertising. You know, they really push back against cigarettes and smoking and tobacco. And that, you know, there's a whole lobby against that. But you see very little against uh, alcohol, beer, wine, liquor. I mean, it is everywhere. It's completely embraced, and it doesn't get the caution that I think the scriptures would probably give it. So, if we step back and we think of the uh, all of Scripture, we uh, think of the addictive nature of alcohol. We think of uh, the positive, joyful passages that we have. We think of the negative cautions. We put it all together, kind of put it in a bottle, mix it up. All right, what's our answer? For me, I said in the beginning, I've weighed the positives and negatives in my life, and I've made the decision to abstain from alcohol. Uh, for me, the risk is not worth the reward. It's not a commensurate risk-reward, you know, where, where it's like, you get this, but wow, you really get this. And to me, the joy and uh, good feelings that one gets from drinking alcohol is not equal with the potential risk involved of what what could happen especially if an addiction sets in to me just not worth it um, now with that i will say this however i do not believe that i can command our church to adopt an abstinence position um, just because it's the one that i make for the wisdom of my personal life um, i believe scripture does not flatly condemn in any way alcohol. I don't think it does. Um, I think the risk isn't worth the reward. I think it's a point of wisdom for me, especially as a leader. But even if I were not a pastor, I would still hold this position. Um, now, there does, there does seem to be a provision for wine or alcohol if done with a joyful fashion, uh, not drowning sorrows, not a coping mechanism, not a mood-altering device, uh, not an escape from life, definitely not drunkenness. Like, there's no gray area on that. Like, the line is drawn. The hard part is that that line up to drunkenness is so blurred, and it's so different for every person. Again, for me, that's what makes it really not worth trying to figure out where a line is on this one. Um, with, you know, with some sins, we allow we allow for a line and on others we don't. It's kind of weird, you know, like we don't say with adultery, uh, you know, how, how close to the line can I get without crossing it? But we kind of do that with alcohol, don't we? We, we say, uh, you know, well, you can't, you just don't, don't get drunk, but, um, you know, 
drink up until you get drunk and you're okay, but as soon as you cross the line, it's kind of like adultery where that line is hard to find, especially when you're in the moment, you know, and, and so it's better to not even try to get close to that line, in my opinion. Um, so I, I think, uh, if I think about my testimony, the monitoring the line between celebration and drunkenness, uh, the horrible potential outcomes if drunkenness happens, the addictive nature of it, it's not worth it for me. Um, I'd rather just have uh, a sweet tea if I need to, uh, you know, feel uh, a little joy in my life or, you know, a, a Texacola, which is my new favorite drink. But, you know, it's not for me. However, I do want to be clear. I don't believe the scriptures give me license to discipline a church member who is, for example, drinking wine at home in celebration of an anniversary. Uh, not hiding it from God, but thanking him, celebrating in that moment. I, I, I do think there is freedom there for that. And uh, just because it's not for me doesn't mean that I would be comfortable disciplining a church member over that. Uh, I believe it, that I just want to err on caution for myself, uh, but I do think that it's more of a wisdom decision uh, for where I want our church to land. So if, if I see you out at a restaurant and you've got a glass of wine on the table, do not expect me to come up and shame you. Do not expect me to come and smack the, you know, it off the table or, or do any grand thing like that. No, I, I really don't think of it that way. Um, I think you ought to be careful. You're, you're, you do play with fire anytime alcohol is involved because it's, it is addictive and it's addictive more and less to different people. But I would just uh, say our church is not going to take an official position of if you drink one sip at all, you are in violation and you're a sinner. Uh, that's not where we're going to land. We are going to say drunkenness absolutely is a sin. And I would caution you not to even try to get close to that line. But if done in celebration with gladness of heart and uh, knowing that this is before you and the Lord and you've taken it to him and in uh, to the glory of God, you've got no shame in your heart towards it. Um, you're not going to get any problem from me, okay? So I hope that clarifies the question and gives you all the answers you need, probably more than what you needed. But anyway, hope you guys have a great Wednesday. God bless, and I'll see you soon.